You know when you hear those songs? Those songs that just speak to you. Those songs that, that make you feel like you can conquer the world. And those songs that connect with you at your lowest points. Music is a powerful influence in our lives, and it has been for years. These are the original Songs of Summer. Well, hey, good morning. So great, great to have you. My name's Nate. I'm the worship pastor here at Northridge Church. I help lead our teams in the areas of light and stage design and sound and song selection and service planning. So glad to have you, no matter where you're joining us from. I'm a huge music lover. I love unique things in songs. I love when a, a time signature of a song is in something like 5-4, or when the guitar texture in a song is just rich and wet and dripping. It's amazing. I love when an artist samples a song that I know inside of another song. Uh, music can be this powerful tool. It can be this incredible tool. And it actually has this unique power. I don't know if you knew this, but music has this ability to bring you back into a moment in time and allow you to relive moments and feelings from uh, time maybe even decades ago, like high school. Uh, for those of us who have been out of high school for a decade or so, it's incredible how just a glimpse of a song can bring us back to a specific moment. Now today, if you're in high school, you are wondering what the big deal about that is. You, you don't want to relive these feelings at all. But for those of us who have been outside of it, it's pretty crazy. Um, let me show you some songs for me that have specific memories paired with them. Maybe you'll recognize some of these. Maybe you won't. Here we go. Check this song out. Come on. You know this song. It has a memory for you. Yes. Buzzkill. Oh, man. Survivor, I the Tiger. My friends and I made a movie with that song as our, our theme song in high school. And it was, the lead actor was my brother who was five years old at the time. And it's, it's maybe a, a good thing today that that movie is lost forever. Um, how about this? Maybe you'll know this song. I believe I can fly. Woo. I believe I can touch the sky. I sing that song like every day still. That song is just like my go-to jam. My kids know this. Um, maybe this song you know. If everybody had an ocean across the USA. Beach Boys. Beach Boys. My friend John and I, who serves at our Webster campus, we would be in my mom's basement with brooms, pretending like we knew what we were doing, playing air guitar to the Beach Boys. Uh, now we play real guitar, which is a little cooler. Uh, maybe, maybe you know this song. No. Okay, that was a mistake. I think that was Drew's playlist. That's Drew's, that's Drew's favorite movie. Um, maybe none of those songs have memories, but I think some of you have memories associated with those songs. But maybe for you, it's an artist like TLC or Michael Jackson or Whitney Houston. Uh, memories have this power of being able to bring us back to a specific moment in time. Science tells us that music strengthens the neural pathways associated with something called implicit memory. That's the part of our memory that goes to the core of who we are. It's at the subconscious level. It's actually the last part of our memory to go when we're facing an illness such as Alzheimer's. Music has that type of power. And in the same way, worship music can take a truth about God or an experience with God and place it deep within our hearts. 
You see, music can impress truths about God into our hearts like nothing else can. Music can impress truths about God into our hearts like nothing else can. David, who wrote the Psalms, he kind of knew this intuitively. As he's writing the Psalms or songs, he's writing songs so that when he faces moments of doubt or uncertainty or fear or worry, he can relive these songs, bring these songs to memory and remind himself of truths about God, that he serves a God who's with him, who's good, who's faithful, who's fighting for him. Now, as we talk about music and worship today, I'm going to be using those songs almost interchangeably, but I know that worship is so much bigger than just music, but as we talk today, I'm going to be kind of using those terms interchangeably. You see, the Psalms went on to become the soundtracks for the nation of Israel. They didn't just stay on a personal level for David and the other writers. Now, for thousands of years, the Psalms have been the blueprint for how to approach God in worship, how to come before him with humility, with authenticity. You know, Jesus also knew that music had power. You see, he referenced the Psalms or the songs of his day more than any other book in the Old Testament. In fact, let me give you an example. I wonder if you knew in this moment that Jesus was quoting a song. In Matthew 27, Jesus is on the cross and he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, Jesus is quoting directly from Psalm 22, David, who just is running from his enemies, and he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So today, if you've ever felt lonely or abandoned or misunderstood, then you're in good company because Jesus has experienced these same things. And he knew that there was power in bringing his feelings and his emotions before God inside of the power and the context of a song. Now, the power of music or the power of song I'm going to be talking about today is not just words paired with music, but it's scriptural truth paired with music. And when we put those two together, it has the ability to reach our hearts in desperate times, maybe when we need it most. You see, the songs we sing in church were not just written to be recited in a service. They're actually written to be applied in real life. Worship does what worship does best when we take what happens in this room and we bring it into our everyday life. But how do we do that? How do we use songs in real life? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Rather than sharing my favorite psalm with you, I want to talk to you about the power of song. We'll do this. I'll give you a couple examples. I'll, I'll take a story from a psalm, and I'm going to pair a story from a psalm with a song that we regularly sing here at church. I'll give you a couple of examples, and then I'll wrap things up with three practical examples and illustrations that no matter what season of life you might find yourself in, you can use. So as we jump into our first example of how to use songs in everyday life, let's jump over to uh, Psalm 18. Here David writes this song. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. You see, David is writing this song as the king of Israel, but maybe you don't know his full story. So let me, let me get you caught up to speed. Um, David's a king when he writes Psalm 18, but when David grew up, he was a shepherd boy. So he would be taking care of his sheep. Maybe in his spare time, he would, you'd find him wrestling a bear or, or killing a lion. He also got really good at throwing rocks because you know, you're a shepherd boy, what else do you really have to do besides, besides play in the fields? Um, David is caught by surprise when a prophet of God approaches him and declares that he is the next king of Israel. 
Now you see, David wasn't the next king of Israel because he had some special relationship with the king or because he was a son of the king or any relation by blood, but simply God chose David to be the next king of Israel because his favor over the current king, Saul, had been removed. David goes on, maybe you know this story, to kill a giant named Goliath. Now this causes the current king, Saul, to become really insecure. So the king, Saul, the current king, proceeds to spend the next 15 years chasing David down, hunting him and trying to kill him. And it's at the end of this period that we see David writing Psalm 18, where he says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. But it's with these 15 years in mind that I believe David gives us a song for our doubt. You see, if you dive into the story with me, I think it's very possible that in these 15 years, David had times where he was just tired of waiting on God to come through. God, I'm supposed to be a king, and here I am living in a cave. Maybe even David experienced doubt. Maybe he wondered, God, is what you said going to come true ever even going to come true? And I think we can identify with David today. Because so many of us in this room are waiting for something. Waiting for God to come through in some area of our life. Maybe for you today, it's in your marriage. Your marriage hasn't been doing very great for a long time, and you're just waiting on God to come through with a breakthrough that you need. Maybe it's in the life of your child who's walking in a direction that you know is not going to end well. Maybe it's with a job that you need to provide for your family or with that right person you've been waiting for. It's in these seasons of life where we find ourselves maybe wanting to cut corners or compromise the things that we knew to be true moments, weeks, months ago, now all of a sudden become, I don't know if that's so true anymore, as we enter into these moments of doubt. Let's be real, though. It's really easy for David to look back on his time of waiting and say, the Lord is my rock, he's my fortress, he's my deliverer. That's easy to say in 2020, but what would David have written if he was in the thick of that? If we had a song that David wrote in the middle of his doubt, what would it be? Cool thing is we have songs just like that. If you turn to Psalm 57 with me, here we find David reflecting on a time when he was hiding in a cave, running from his enemies, and he says this, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I wonder if as David's writing these words, he's reflecting on times that he was living and sleeping in the same cave as the men who were trying to kill him. He goes on to say this though, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You see, David here writes a song of reality. He doesn't underplay his feelings or what he's going through. In fact, he's almost brutally honest about his situation. It kind of almost comes off like complaining. But David knew exactly what to do with his doubt. He didn't let his doubt separate him from God, but he declares his reality, but in the very next sentence, he reminds himself through a song that he serves a God who is bigger and, and higher than it all. And in the same way, God isn't scared of our doubt. I think David's story reminds us of this. Don't ignore your reality. And don't ignore God in your reality. I think David's story gives us even a little more insight into these times of doubt that we might have. After all these years of waiting, this 15-year period, David has become king. 
And as he's looking back on that time, I believe this is what he's most proud of in Psalm 18. He says these words, For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. Now, for those of you in this room or at another campus or online today who find yourself waiting on God to come through for something, you're just clinging on to hope. I think David's words for you would be this today. Don't let this season of doubt become a season of compromise. The things that you once knew to be true weeks, days, moments ago, they're still true. And may you be able to look back on this season and declare those words in Psalm 18, which says, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. Don't ignore your reality. What you're going through is real, but don't ignore God in your reality. Maybe today you find yourself in this season of doubt. We want to give you a song that you can cling to in moments of doubt, in your moments of waiting where you're just on the edge of believing that God will not come through for you. This is a song that maybe you can sing, have on a playlist, and come to week after week, day after day. Remember, the power of this song isn't just the fact that we're putting words to music. The power of this song is in the fact that there's scriptural truth embedded within this song. And that through the power of this song, this song can bring those scriptural truths deep into your heart for the moments in time that you need them the most. Now, before we sing, I want to give permission to those of you today who maybe are wrestling with doubt. You're in a season of doubt, and it could lead to a season of compromise. Maybe you need to stay seated, reflect on the words of this song, and let the church sing the truths of Psalm 18 over you as you remind yourself that God is with you. He's fighting for you. This song says, when the ground beneath my feet gives way, I'm hidden safe in a God who never leaves. At all of our campuses, would you stand? Would you sing with us as we remind ourselves that of the truth that we serve a God who's our firm foundation. Let's sing this out together. When the ground beneath my feet gives way and I hear the sound Crashing waves and all my world is washing out to sea. I'm hidden safe in the God who never moves, holding fast to the promise of your truth that you are holding tight as still to me. Let's sing it out, the rock won't move. The rock won't move and his word is strong. The rock won't move in its love can be under. The rock won't move and its word is strong. The rock won't move in its love can be undone. The rock of our salvation.
service order today. So you're going to find things you're feeling a little bit different. Um, let me give you another example, though, of how you can cling to Scripture through the power of song. Why don't we uh, go to Psalm 51 together? Here we find an incredible song written by King David. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In this passage, what's so powerful is that David does not write this song out of a great success or a great victory. He actually writes this song out of what was perhaps his most incredible moral failure. And so what David gives us here in Psalm 51 is a song for our guilt. Let me give you a little more context. Remember, David is king now. He's through this 15-year period of waiting, and now he's walking in the truth of the fact that God promised something in his life, and it came to pass. But David takes advantage of his power. He abuses his power, and he takes advantage of a married woman named Bathsheba. Now, for those of us who know David's story, when we think of David, we usually think of him as a man after God's own heart or leading his people into battle. But here we find him cheating with a married woman. Things go from bad to worse when David finds out she's pregnant and he conspires to have her husband killed. Ultimately, a prophet of God confronts David. And it's in this moment that the reality and the gravity of what David has done hits his heart. And it's from this spirit that David writes Psalm 51, that he writes these words, have mercy on me, O God, forgive me, Lord. And so what David gives us in this psalm is a song to play in moments of life when we feel guilty. Now, I'm not talking about the moments of life we just feel bad. We have a lot of those moments. When I get Chick-fil-A for lunch, too bad it's Sunday. I go home, I forget the bag in my car, and I kind of have to sneak it in so my wife doesn't see it. Because if she sees it, she'll give me this evil glare that says, you know every time you go to Chick-fil-A, you get me a market salad. Those are the moments in life that I feel kind of bad. Like, okay, that was a jerk move. I should have got you a salad. I'm talking about the moments in life where we wake up, we look in the mirror, and we come face to face with someone we don't even recognize. We just did something we swore we would never do. We just fell back into a habit or a pattern. We swore we would never fall into, fall into again. And these are the moments that David gives us a picture of what to do with our guilt. Because what does he do? He immediately enters into a posture of worship. I've experienced this in my life. Maybe you've experienced similar. It's that when we don't bring our guilt before God, our guilt can bring us into shame. Shame is a dangerous place to find ourselves, but God is not intimidated by our guilt. In fact, God's grace exists for our guilt. Shame is this dangerous place to find ourselves where we internalize and we personalize the decisions that we've made. It moves from just, I made a mistake, to I'm a mistake. It moves from, I messed up, to I am messed up. And it's in this place of shame we end up running and hiding from the grace and love and the forgiveness that we need to wash away our sins and the things that we've done. So I think David's story reminds us of this truth. Don't let an experience of guilt become a season of shame. David gives us a new songs to sing in the times of life when we've just straight up blown it. He acknowledges what he did but he doesn't personalize it or internalize it. He acknowledges what he did while singing a song about who God is. He declares about God's mercy, his grace, his unfailing love. He sings about a God whose arms are open.
wide, who invites us in. A God whose great compassion and love never changes because those things are never based on what we could do in the first place. Maybe today you find yourself in a season of guilt or maybe it's gone into a season of shame. We want to give you a song that you can cling to in your moments of guilt or shame. A song that you can turn to to remind yourself of the truths of scripture that declare our God is a God of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy. Once again, if you're in the thick of it right now, we just give you permission to stay seated and let the church sing the truths of Psalm 51 over you. But at all of our campuses, would you stand and would you sing of God's incredible grace towards us?
Some of you today have experienced the power of song already. But what are you supposed to do with a talk like this if you're not in a season of doubt or in a season of guilt? What do I do with this? Um, first of all, I want to let some people off the hook. Maybe today you're just checking out Northridge. Maybe today you're not a Christ follower or you're just kind of experimenting. You're not sure if you want to jump in. You're outside the faith looking in. Uh, the next few things I'm going to mention aren't really for you. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening. But the next few things I want to challenge our rooms to do are really for those of us who are Christ followers. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is to establish a time of private worship. Establish a time of private worship. That's a fill in the blank if you guys want to drop that down. Uh, do you engage God through music on your own. Now, I'm not asking anyone at any campus to all of a sudden just burst into song in a supermarket or when walking down the street. I'm suggesting that you grab some headphones, you take a walk, you have an ability to play some music in your car as you head to and from your workplace or to difficult situations. Let the power of song impact your life as you bring scriptural truths to mind uh, just between you and God privately. Um, I think the Bible has proven this, and, and I think science backs it up, that music is powerful, and we can use it in our day-to-day -day life when we need scriptural truth the most. Uh, my wife recently told me that when she engages God privately through worship on her way to work, that her work shifts go better. She's better equipped to handle situations with grace and with truth. She's better equipped to represent Christ in the workplace. And it's not because her circumstances are changing, but it's because her perspective changes as she engages God. Second thing I would challenge each of you to do is to engage more deeply in collective worship. Engage more deeply in our time together singing as the church. We're reminded of the purpose of our collective worship if we turn over to Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, we read this. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. As I read this, I'm reminded that the purpose of the church singing together is really two things. It's to teach and it's to encourage. Now, you didn't realize this maybe, but each week as we sing, 
you are all preaching to the people around you. The point of our time singing together is so that you can teach scriptural truth to the people around you. It's also a time that we encourage people around us by how we engage with the truths from scriptures. So as we think about engaging more deeply, I would sum it up in three different things. I would say, let's engage more deeply in our minds. Let's engage with how we think on the words that we're singing. I met someone named Anthony not too long ago who told me, as we were singing a song, um, this line came up, as your blood fell to the ground, it redefined my future. He, t- he, he told me, I, when we sang that line, I had to stop and I had to think about what that meant because it is such a deep and profound statement. Are you engaging your mind with the words that we sing? Are you engaging your voices with the words that we sing? Colossians 3 reminds us that we're to be teaching people around us. How can you do that if you're not singing the truths of Scripture out? I would also challenge each of us to engage our physical expression. Now, we know this to be true when we're in conversations with one another, but I sense how we engage God with our physical expression isn't as much on our radar. And let me prove it to you in just a moment. But before I do, I want to let everyone know I'm not asking anyone to engage in a, in a physical expression beyond what's natural for them. But what I am challenging everyone in our church to do is be your most engaged self when celebrating the most incredible truth you could ever celebrate. Let's not be more excited over our favorite team scoring or, man, we just beat this level we've been trying to beat for so long or we just got that new pair of shoes that like, just went on sale. Let's not be more physically engaged or excited over anything else. Fill in the blank. What is it for you? than when those of us who are in Christ are celebrating the truth of the gospel with each other. Now, I said I was going to prove it to you. I'll try. Um, My anniversary is tomorrow. It's going to be my seven-year anniversary. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I know some people have been married a lot longer than I look up to you, but Matt, last week, it was his one-year anniversary. That was cool, Matt, but once you get to, like, year seven... You got to kind of pick it up a notch. You got to have a better gift, a better approach. It all is enhanced. So I'm going to be, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say to my wife. Um, You know, I I have to tell her how much I love her, right? So she's a great cook. So I'm imagining that tomorrow she's going to have an incredible breakfast ready for me. Now she's like definitely going to have an incredible breakfast ready for me. (laughs) But I'm going to come downstairs and I'm just going to smell it. Oh, so good. And I'm going to walk into the kitchen I'm going to look my wife in the eyes, and I'm going to get ready to let her know how much I love her. We've been married for seven years, how much I care for her, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to sink my hands in my pocket, and I'm going to maybe like just kind of like look really disinterested. I'm going to let her know. I, sorry, I can't do this without laughing. It's so obvious. It's so funny. I'm going to try, though. I love you so much. You mean the world to me. I can't imagine my life without you. Uh, I just sense you don't buy it. I sense that she's not going to buy it. And I just want to remind you that as we engage in collective worship, really what we're doing is we're engaging God in a conversation. And in the same way that you would never engage another human being in a conversation in that way, let's not approach worship any different. As you look around the room and as you see people's facial expressions maybe engage in worship, it's because worship isn't about the lights 
or anything that's going on, but it's about a one-on-one conversation with our Savior. And what's so cool is there's other people listening in to that conversation, and that's where the teaching and encouraging comes in, is that as you're engaging God, as you're singing and praising his name, other people are able to listen in and be encouraged by how you do that. Maybe there's some of you in this room who are struggling to engage for a different reason. You're over here and you're just, you're saying, man, the music's a little too loud. I'm having trouble. Like, it's supposed to be about me and God. I can't even hear myself. I can't even hear the people around me. What is this? Like, is this some type of show? I'm a little skeptical. But there's another, there's another group of you in the room today who would say, it's kind of too quiet. It's supposed to be about me and God, and I don't want this, I don't even know this person. I don't want them to hear me sing. I don't even sing in the shower, and everyone's supposed to sound good in the shower. So, and there's these other times where the worship leader's like, you sing it out, and you're like, not a chance. <laughs> we hear it. We know that happens. Maybe there's some of you in this room who are like, man, there's just too many new songs. I can't keep up with them all. I know that you're like putting the words on the screens and saying, sing it out, and the Bible says sing a new song to the Lord, but seriously, like, that's too many new songs. Are you coming every week? Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, another camp of you in here is saying, this song again? Like, Lord, I need you. Like, I know I need the Lord, but really. You know what? We all have our preferences for what worship should be. That's what's so cool about the community in the body of Christ is that we come together and we're able to drop our preferences and not let our preferences for worship interfere with us giving the Lord what he's due. I help plan our services here. Maybe it's cool to know that there's things that I prefer that don't make it into the service. Even though I have the ability to plan things around my preferences, I choose not to. So I just want to challenge and encourage each of us to engage more deeply with our minds, how we think on the words, with our voices, how we encourage and teach those around us and how we engage God in this physical expression of worship and how we engage in our conversation with him. Last thing I want to challenge and encourage each of you to do is to create a playlist. Create your own worship playlist. Scripture backs this up. Science proves it. What are you doing right now in moments of fear and doubt and uncertainty as you wrestle through difficult situations? How are you tuning your heart to sing God's praise? What are you listening to that brings the truth of Scripture to your, to your mind. You know, I don't think everyone is equipped necessarily or they're comfortable finding new artists and finding songs that they can use in moments of doubt or, or guilt or uncertainty. So we want to go ahead and do this for you. This week on Tuesday, um, we're going to be releasing through our Northridge Weekly Equip email a few different playlists that you can access. Um, if you're not part of our Northridge Equip Weekly email, I'd encourage you to become a part of that. You can do that through two ways right now. The first is you can head to northridgeequip.com right now. Maybe you're on your phone right now and you should just go to northridgeequip.com and sign up to be a part of this. Or you can check the connections card and we'll sign you up. But this week on Tuesday, we're going to release three playlists for you. A playlist for your doubt, a playlist for your joy, and a playlist for your identity in Christ. You can also follow our Northridge Worship social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube. Each week, we're releasing resources to help you engage with Scripture through the power of song. Maybe you could take advantage of those. So, I'd encourage you to have a private time of worship, to engage deeply in our time of collective worship, 
and to create your own playlist so that in moments of doubt, you can have somewhere to turn. Well, I can't imagine a better way of ending our time together than to sing a song. What a surprise. But as we sing, we're going to sing a song that I think you can reference, that you can bring into your everyday life, no matter what situation you find yourself in. And as we sing, I want to challenge us to engage our minds and think on the words of this song. What do they mean for you? What does it mean for your life when we sing some of these words? To engage your voices, to teach and encourage those around us, and to engage your physical expression as you have a one-on-one conversation that we all get to be a part of. So at all of our campuses, would you stand and would you sing? Would you encourage and teach one another with how you do it?
Yes, we're 